foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. There's a progression in the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2 from absolutely nothing except God before God spoke to a beautiful, flourishing, intelligently designed world filled with living creatures and all that was necessary to sustain life because God spoke. And into such a world, at the end of this progression, creation reaches its pinnacle, right? God creates man in his own image and after his likeness, male and female, he created them. Day six is the climax of the creation week. It is not the consummation of the creation week. In other words, mankind was not the goal of creation. Day seven is the conclusion of the creation week. So the account of creation does not end with man and the mandate God gives to him because humanity is not the consummation of all things. We are not the goal of all things. Beloved, eternal rest for us in the joyful presence of our creator is the goal of creation. It always has been. It always will be. God will realize the goal of his creation through humankind, but the goal itself is for us to be in unbroken fellowship with our God forever. So day seven, if you will, gives us the why for creation, the a goal that will be realized even though we will attempt to corrupt it. The seventh day is a call to all humanity. It tells us that human history began with the joy and freedom of God's rest and we were invited as his creation to participate in it. The purpose of everything that happens from this moment forward is to get us back to the rest and freedom and joy that we had with our God in the beginning. That's the goal. That's the goal here in Genesis 2. Mankind will eventually need a new Adam to reach the goal. But God will provide. God will provide. Let's pray one more time. Father, I ask that you would be with me tonight as I preach. Lord, please once again overtake me and my mind and my mouth. Lord, that you might be glorified. That your word would be proclaimed. That everybody here would understand and believe the word concerning your son Jesus Christ. That is on every page of scripture. And I ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. Let me read the first three verses of Genesis 2 as we continue to make our way through this book. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, right, so, it's very important, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So there's another break here. If you've you've followed along so far, there's another break from the symmetry or the structure that we've seen so far in the sequence of these days here on day seven. There's a completion statement here. There's divine rest. There's the blessing of the seventh day, the consecration of the seventh day. But then something is missing. Something that we've seen every day is missing. There's no temporal framework given here. Right? Do you see that? There is no, and there was evening and there was morning, the seventh day. God's original intention for the rest of the seventh day is that the rhythm he established for creation would not end. Right? This is how it was always meant to be. We were always meant to come back 
to the rest, to this rest at the end of each week, back into his presence and joy. Work in and of itself then was not the curse. Work was not the curse. Getting our living from our work rather than from our rest in the presence of God, that is the curse. There was work to do for Adam and Eve before the fall. Exercise and maintain dominion over the animals. Farm the produce. Tend the garden. Keep it. Eventually raise children. Be fruitful and multiply. All these things. But work wasn't originally created as something to be burdensome. In other words, we weren't resting on the seventh day originally because we were tired any more than God was. He wasn't resting. God was not resting again. God is not resting because he's bushed, right? He's not resting because he's exhausted. He was resting because he was done. We were meant to rest in the same way as an act of worship and reflection on God's provision and presence and goodness. The Sabbath reveals something about Israel's God, the God revealed to us in the scriptures. God's Sabbath rest is him ceasing from a labor he was never required to accomplish. Right? He would, nothing outside of God demanded God to create, to work. So he's resting from something he was never required to do. God created because he wanted to, which means he is absolutely free to cease doing it when he wants to and reflect on it and enjoy it. So God doesn't spend day seven in exhaustion. That's not where he is, but in peace and in quiet and at rest. Notice the tone here. There's no rush to get back to anything. Nothing lingering that still needs to be done as if all he can do really is take a break. That's what the fall has done to us and to our rest. That's why, that's what any rest has become for us. It doesn't matter how good the vacation is. It doesn't matter how nice the day off or the time off is. It's always tainted because it won't last. But in his resting, God is fulfilled and at peace. So he blesses the day. The whole day, the cycle of mankind was never for rest to have this cloud or of dread hanging over it because tomorrow you have to get back to work. God doesn't have to do this and he is the template for what it means to rest. The rest he invites us into enjoy was perfect. There isn't a hint of dread or anxiety or sorrow. He is completely at ease here with the well-being of things because of his rule, right? He's completely, there's no worry. We were meant to enjoy originally exercising dominion again as his sons in the world, stop our labor, enjoy his rest, and return to the mandate we were given to enjoy his creation, spreading Eden until it covered the earth. That was the goal. The mandate was to serve the created world because it was there for us not to starve to death if we didn't work it. It wasn't created to resist us. It was originally created to yield to us. God's rest is everything we long for and wish we could have in our little moments of rest. The heavens and the earth are finished on day seven and all the host of them. Host, the, the Hebrew word is sabah. It's collective. It refers to all the various parts in the plan design of creation. It is finished. God has brought his work to completion. More worlds will not be created. From here on out, there's only procreation within the species and self-perpetuation. In verse 2, God is pictured as a 
skilled craftsman almost who has completed his labor. For that reason, in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and rested. For the first time, God blesses the day itself. We haven't seen that yet. So he blessed, if you remember, he blessed man to be fruitful and multiply. He blesses the seventh day so that the day will be fruitful with respect to its purpose, which is rest. The creation account doesn't end on the sixth day. It ends on the seventh day when God rests, when he stops working. And again, we want to stress, God is not tired. God doesn't get tired. I heard that so much in Sunday school when I was a little boy. I remember it so distinctly. I remember the lady saying it. Wouldn't you be tired if you had done all that work? Yes, I would be tired. I'm a 44-year-old man who loves naps and cheese whiz. I would be exhausted. Right? God is not that. Right? God would not be tired. All the other days God called good or very good. But God sanctifies day seven. He made it holy. He set it apart. God makes a clear distinction again, this time between days of work and a day of rest. The reason, the because in verse three, that God blesses the day and made it holy is because he rested on it. Rest, beloved, is holy. Rest is divine. Rest is godlike. What God experiences when he ceases from his labor in creation is something holy and divine. It's quiet again. Right? You see that it's quiet in the sense that there's no more working. That is, God will not create another heaven and another earth. But in his rest, he doesn't stop ruling over creation, governing its design, watching over his word to perform it, working as we will see to bring about the salvation we will so desperately need him to accomplish. But God rested from his work as the creator of the heavens and the earth. His sustaining word, however, remains. Right? It, it remains to this day. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the creatures that dwell and creep on the earth continue to be fruitful and multiply. Human beings made in his image after his likeness, even though we're marred now by the fall, still exercise a measure of dominion. We're still fruitful and multiply. So the power and effectiveness of God's word still preserves and governs the entire creation. God is done creating the first heavens and the first earth, but not in such a way that he ceases to rule over it or, or it stops taking care of it just to let it take care of itself. That's the theistic view of God, that, that he, he set everything in motion, but then he stepped out and lets it happen according to whatever happens. That's not what we see here. Jesus says in John five seventeen, for until now my father has been working and I am working. Say, well, I thought God rested from his work in Genesis 2, 3. Then, then, then you, you read through the Bible. That the serpent very soon is going to be altered in its form, right? Thorns and thistles will grow. They weren't going to grow before. The rainbow will be created. A virgin will conceive. How is God resting? In this state, in Genesis 2, the world was perfect. It needed no additional help. It needed no work, additional work. This is the state of paradise creation was made to enjoy and it flowed every week towards true Sabbath rest. But something happens between here and Genesis 4 that changes everything, as we'll see very soon. Something that makes reclaiming the goal of creation the great task of creation. That's what the Great Commission is for in Matthew 28, by the way. 
The spiritual mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as disciples, God's sons, spiritual offspring are multiplied to exercise dominion over the earth once more as through the gospel now rebels bow their knee to the second Adam, King Jesus, so that mankind may finally cease from their labors and enter his rest. The gospel we proclaim gets us back to Eden, gets us back to God's true Sabbath rest. The Sabbath shows us what creation would be like, what our world would be like if God's way was fully established on the earth and there were no interruptions, no sin, no curse, no fall. That's what day seven is. The whole earth's experience of and participation in God's free and joyful rest was the goal of creation. Unbroken fellowship with God all the time. That's what we really lost in the fall. That's what we really lost. The, the fall lingers over the creation account like a storm cloud, right? We know it's coming. Just waiting to unleash and ruin everything. Sin, our rebellion against God didn't just sentence us to death. It stole our lives from us. And we have been working to experience that rest again since we were expelled from the Garden of Eden in our father, Adam, even though most human beings don't know that's what the problem is, don't know that's what's missing, it's what's missing from everyone. We were made to enjoy the presence of God. The Sabbath rest of God was the declaration that our lives were never meant, ever. Let me say that again. The Sabbath rest of God is the declaration that our lives were never meant to depend on our own frantic effort and activity to secure everything for ourselves. It was never meant to be that way. Our lives were never meant to be lived in dependence on anything for them to last except the presence and blessing of God at rest with us. The world we live in now, the one that is cursed, never allows for this. Never allows for true Sabbath rest. It can't. Right? The ground is cursed in this world. We die if we don't work. And what we get from work never comes easy. We were never meant to have to work to survive. We were meant to exercise dominion over the earth because that was God's gift of life to us as his sons here, his regents on the earth, those made in his image and likeness in a covenant with him. Then the one relationship that God created to be the vehicle of being fruitful and multiplying and enjoying one another, that was cursed. It's friction and tension, and most marriages won't last. Even if they're good, they won't last. People die. In pain, we will eat of this ground all the days of our lives. Sometimes it will bear fruit. Most times it will bear thorns and thistles. We live in an endless cycle of sweat and futility. No matter what we do, we will return to the ground, for from the dust we came and because we sin, our work will ultimately get us nothing, and to the dust we shall return. Our lives here are work and death. Sabbath was rest and life. So this is what Jesus Christ came to give back to us by breaking that curse through his work and through his death. He became a curse for us that we might be forever blessed by being taken back in once more to the rest of our Father and our Creator. Revelation 21 and 22 describe the eternity to come 
as the paradise of a renewed and restored Eden, which means God will never attempt to improve on the rest of day seven. Right? It, it, it was perfect. It lacked nothing. He'll just finally bring us one day back into it. Because as Jesus himself tells us in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you hear the implications of that statement and why it's important that it isn't the other way around? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God made that rest to give to us. It was made for us. We were not made to get to it. To earn it, to attain it. We were made to receive it as a gift. The context of that passage in Mark is a microcosm of just how fatal the blow of the curse has been to mankind. If you have your Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, just for a moment. Jesus has been about the business of the kingdom in this text. Right? He's revealing that the old world that was cursed is being undone by his presence. Right? He's healed a paralytic, forgiven his sins. He's called a tax collector to be his disciple and then partied with him at his house with other tax collectors and sinners. He's taught that the fact his disciples don't fast like John the Baptist and the Pharisees do is because he's bringing in a whole new era for mankind. It's like new wine and new wine requires fresh wineskins. So he's just upending everything about the old world. And then comes a Sabbath day in verse 23. It's, it's very possible that between the fall and the giving of the law that the Sabbath was not kept, at least not regularly among men. It had fallen out of favor. Then when the law came to Israel through Moses, however, it returned as a sign in the old covenant that set apart Israel as his own special people in the world. So when Jesus came, it was still the law, but it wasn't an occasion for rest anymore. Right? Did the, there are sermons on Mark 2, there are sermons on Sabbath that will make it impossible for you to rest. They'll just make you worry that you're not resting enough. Right? That, that, that's, that's not helpful. Right? It's, it's, it's not helpful at all. It was another demand in the time of Jesus to work in the hearts of the religious leaders in Israel. Nobody better rest in their approach to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. So people approach the Sabbath in the fear that they wouldn't break it. Right, so it was always fear, tension. Because in a cursed world, you have to work to rest. You don't just get to rest. Look at 2, 23 through 26, I'll read. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So they're not resting. They're following them around, making sure they're doing everything right. They're not resting. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. I love Jesus in this text. For, for, for the sake of time, you know what Jesus basically just said? He said, there's something higher than the law. All right, there's something higher than the law. David's empty stomach and the empty stomachs of his men were more important than the law about the bread of the presence because it was David. Jesus is saying, do you know who I am when it comes to the law? 
You honestly think I can't feed my hungry disciples on the Sabbath because of the law? Look at 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, since the Sabbath is made for man, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is the eternal Lord of day seven. He is the keeper of the rest. The Sabbath rest of God is his to distribute to whomever and whenever he wishes. And when his sons are in need, the law is trumped by rest. Who was David? He was the king. He was the son of God. Who is Jesus Who are you, believer? Beloved, do you know what the outcry of these Pharisees here really shows us? We don't know any other way to relate to God but through work. We don't. Performance, work, and he intended to be related to through rest. The giving of the law was so we would finally wake up and realize that. Cease from our labor And run to the Lord of the Sabbath for rest. But instead what do we do? We work for our justification. We work for our assurance. We work for our money. We work for approval. We work so we can vacation. We work for peace. We work, 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 work. We work for everything or we get nothing. Because we are cursed. So the Lord of the Sabbath is the one that comes saying to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's the Lord of the Sabbath talking. Not just, not just rest in general, Sabbath rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved, Your soul was meant to rest. Not just your body. Your soul. My soul. And we can't rest, can we? We're too afraid to rest in the soul. The soul never rests. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sabbath is the end of working. It's the end of grasping and sweating And dying. Salvation in Jesus Christ is to never again find life by the sweat of our brow. But through the blood and sweat that poured down his when he died for us. Because God also raised the second Adam from his sleep. With a bride made ready for him to enjoy forever. So in Hebrews 4. The true Sabbath rest. The eternal reception if you will. Still remains for the people of God. All those who believe have entered it spiritually now. We have ceased from our works as God did from his, but we'll also enter it physically then. Beloved, we'll go back to Eden. We'll go back to Eden for the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away. And it will be day seven after day seven as Isaiah declares in Isaiah 66, 23. Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. It will be restored Right, His rest can't be improved upon. He'll just bring us into it. Can you imagine, just imagine for a moment what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth when every single grain of sand 
Every atom, every molecule will be shaped by nothing except the power and the grace of God. We don't even know how to imagine it. Right? We've talked about this before. Our, our, really our only kind of conception of eternal worship is, is to raise the question, will that ever get boring? You know why we think that? Because we're workers. Right? We're, we're, we're laborers. So we think, man, if, I, if I'm not, I mean, all I'm going to do is worship. I mean, it'd be cool for a couple hours, but an eternity? We, we don't have any frame of reference for what that does to the soul. And so we, we, we don't know how to gauge it. It's, but no curse, no sorrow, no pain, no sin. Just imagine that. Never sinning against anyone, never being sinned against. Can you imagine that? Nothing broken, no separation ever again, nothing damaged. All of it's gone. All of it's done forever. So beloved, I say to you on the authority of God's word, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished once and for all, for all those who believe in him, rest. Rest. The, the fall put us to work. Redemption gives us back our rest. Enjoy it. The yoke of Jesus is no longer a yoke of life or death. The burden is no longer the weight of sweat and futility. Rest from your works. They are not how you gain eternal life. They are not its source. Don't try to get your life from your work. Don't try to get your assurance from your work. Don't try to get anything from your work except what you need to survive until God wants to take you home. Beloved, Jesus is your life. In your soul tonight, by faith in Christ, return to the rest God provided for us in the very beginning. And one day, in both our souls and in new bodies, we will see it, we will feel it, we will taste it on the eternal day seven. And nothing and no one will ever be able to take it from us again. There will be no threats there. That's the goal of creation, to get us back there. And God cannot fail. He cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you for this text and how it gets us to where we need to go. Father, I pray that we would be able to do this just, just as a foretaste of rest now. We, we can't enter the fullness of the rest here in this life. It hasn't been consummated yet but father in jesus christ who rose from the dead it will be and so lord may we drink as deeply as we can from the fountain of life in this life be with us father i pray and i ask this in the name of our lord jesus christ amen i'll be down front here as tony sings if, if he leads us if you